Well, I can tell you, um, normally in any normal situation, this might give me a little stress, but I am in the capstone process, and that's taking up all the stress in my life at the moment. Um, it is a privilege to be here. North Central has a special place in our heart. There are so many people that I'm looking around that are B-Rockers. If you're a B-Rocker, say, I'm it. it. Yeah, it's so good to have you here. Uh, you can tell they're bold. <laughs> it really is an honor to be here as well. Dr. Anderson, who's a great president. How many would agree with that? And um, it's good to to come back and to have gotten to know him even more as a leader and, and just feel blessed to be a part of that. You know, North Central is where I met my wife, Heather. Best decision I've ever made outside of accepting Christ as my Savior. And uh, I remember I was sitting right back there uh, in, in 1991. Kim Whita was up here at 1 o'clock in the morning. We're in a prayer meeting. And... Uh, and she was up here leading prayer, and I was going to law school. I had already made the decision. The only reason I came to North Central was because my, my mother, who had died when I was 15, had said she wanted every one of her kids to go to Bible college for one year. And, and I came here only to honor that, but I was going to law school. And I had already picked out a school in Chicago, Illinois. I was moving that direction, and the Lord very clearly spoke to me. And, and listen... I could have served the Lord as a lawyer, and I could be as much. I, I was called whether I was a lawyer or not, okay? I'm not saying you have to be a pastor in order to serve the Lord and do what God's calling, because we're all called. Every one of us are called, and God calls us to different places. But the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you may be a lawyer, and you may be good, but you will never be happy. And I knew in that moment that I could not produce my own happiness. I needed to obey the Lord. And made that decision that I was no longer going to law school. And I stayed at North Central University, and God changed my life. And I can tell you today, I wouldn't change a single thing. Uh, for one, had I not stayed, I would not have met the most beautiful woman in the entire world. Uh, somebody else would, and that would drive me nuts to know she was with someone else. So I, I praise the Lord every day uh, that I stayed. Well, you know, I was out, I, I, I just started getting this hunting thing, and, and so Larry Bach said, let's go hunting. I know Larry, and he's a big hunter. And he said, let's go hunting. I said, okay. So we went out hunting. He was going to show me how to do it, and, and we went out. We were sitting in the stand looking deer hunting, and we were going to go out shooting and, uh, you know, shoot a deer. And, and uh, we're sitting out in the stand, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting there. All day long, we sat in the stand looking for a deer. Not one deer came, and, came through, you know, where we were sitting. And, and finally, right about the time we were ready to leave, this huge buck comes trotting on through uh, where we were at. And both of us grabbed our guns, and we, we aimed, and we shot at the exact same time, and, and boom, that uh, literally, you wouldn't, uh, first time, we nailed that deer, and it went down. Now, he thought he hit the deer, and I was sure I hit the deer. And Larry, being so competitive like he is, uh, we were on there, and he's like, no, James, I shot the deer. I'm the expert in this. And I said, no, no, Larry, I'm the one that shot the deer. I know, and well, we got 
arguing, and, and eventually we were kind of loud. And before we knew it, the DNR guy who was in the area happened to come over, and he said, what's going on here? And I'm like, well, he thinks he shot the deer, and I know I shot the deer. And the guy says, well, let me look at the deer. He walks down to the deer, and, and he takes a good look at it, and he comes back, and he says, um, one of you a pastor, a preacher? I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, you shot the deer. And Larry's, Larry's will go, how do you know that? Yeah, I'm like, how did you know a pastor shot the deer? He says, because the bullet went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> so try not to do that this morning. <laughs> Uh, how many know we are a movement? We are a movement. That doesn't sound too convincing. You know, one of the reasons I love pastoring a multiracial church, 30 different nations are represented. People born and raised in other nations in 30 different countries come on a Sunday morning. The reason I enjoy it is because they talk back to me. So if you cannot be frozen chosen of Minnesotan, and talk back. I'd appreciate that. I don't mind that. I preach better if you respond. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How many know we're a movement? We're not, we, we shouldn't sit around thinking that as, as believers that, that we are somehow, you know, we're broken or we ought to somehow act like, like we're nobodies. We are the, the movement, the greatest movement on the planet. I had a chance a, a couple of years ago to spend a day with Reinhard Bonnke. And when we were down there, my wife and I were there, we were talking, and, and one, of the, one of the guys that was there, and, and, and I, had, I said, guys, pray, and, and pray that I don't ask any dumb questions. All right? Because one of the questions was asked is, Reinhard, what do you think about the rise of Islam around the world? And Reinhard answered it with this, in this way, just as Jesus would. He said, let me ask you a question. What do you think of the rise of Christianity around the world? Christianity is growth at a 6.9% around the world. is growing at a 6.9%. Islam is growing at a 3.8%. Hinduism is growing at a 3.4%. The movement in this world is Christianity, and you're part of it. And it's when we stop to realize that we're a movement, I'm a movement, that when, when I was created in my mother's womb, that God saw a problem in time and he said, I'm going to create a movement in this woman's womb that's going to be a movement that's going to meet the need that's going to occur down the road. That you were created as a movement to do something perfectly knitted together in your mother's womb to accomplish something in the future. And we're part of a movement. You're part of the North Central movement. There is a movement in this room. When I think of the great people that, that are in this room, the great things you're going to do, together you're a movement in this community. And we're a global movement. Think about it. You are not all by yourself. We're part of a movement that is moving across the globe right now. Every one of us. There are people uh, that are around the world right now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. And, and, and some of them are businessmen and some of them are lawyers and teachers and, and doing all kinds of things. And some of them are missionaries and some of them are pastors. But we're part of a, a global movement and we're part of a historical 
movement. Something that has gone on for generation to generation to generation and will continue to go on. It is more than just a job. This is a movement that God is calling us to. And we need to rise up and move forward in our movement. You know, I, I love, love when at the beginning of time when God, you know, the Bible, when you read a parable, it always says the kingdom of heaven is like, and then we try to, we try to take earthly things and make that part of the parable. What God is saying is, I've been in heaven and I want to tell you what it's like. And one of the parables he says is he says, I want a bride for my son. He says, I'm going to have a bride for my son, and we it. You and us in this room, you and me in this room are his bride. And, and when he created the universe, he says, I'm going to create a bride. And what he did was he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit moved back and forth over the void. He sent a movement to start creation. We are part of that movement. Now, I want to take you to your Bible. If you have your Bible, just grab your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, raise it up. If you have a Bible, I'm not actually going to go into this, but if you have it, look around you. If somebody didn't bring your Bible, just say, what were you thinking? Like this is chapel. You should have had your Bible with you. I mean, it's kind of an important place to bring your Bible, right? Now, what I'd have them do at B-Rock, and I had to stop because of legal reasons, was I would have them bonk them on their head with their Bible and say, you need to bring your Bible. If you want to do that, go ahead. Go to Ezekiel 37, verse 1. I want a, a very common verse. I have a funny thing when I preach this message. I had thought about, have I ever preached this message? I have never preached on this passage until, until this, this, this uh, serve. I preached this at B-Rock, but I'm going to preach it here this morning for a second time. Had never done it, even though it's a powerful scripture. Verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. Uh, I, I want you to think, you know, when you think, when you think of spending time with God, you think of like all kinds of things, you know, like there's going to be angels and music and, 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 and there's going to, you're going to feel great and it's going to just be a great. We all have different ideas of what, what we think of when the Spirit of the Lord comes. Now, whether, whether this was a vision that God had him in or whether it was a reality of him walking, whatever way it was, here comes the presence of God and, and Ezekiel's there and he knows God's presence is there with him and he says, listen. Listen, Ezekiel, I want to show you something. Now, if God wants to show me something, I'm excited because I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. God's going to show me. He's his good father. He's a good, good father. He says, Ezekiel, you and I are going to take a walk. Come and walk with me. And he takes him a walk, and he brings him to a place where there are a bunch of dead bones. Not even together. A, a cemetery. Some would say a battlefield. A place of defeat where, where there had been a number of men who had died on a battlefield for some reason. And, and, and now all of their, their flesh had been either eaten off or rotted off. And now all the bones are laying there spread over this floor. And, and in God's presence, he says, Ezekiel, I, I want to bring you to this place of death. I want to bring you to this this cemetery. I want to bring you to this place where there is no life. And I, and I want you to come because I want to show you something, Ezekiel. I, wanna, I, want, I want you to come and look at what I want to show you today. And, and maybe you're in that place right now where you're sitting there and you're going, God, why have you brought me here? 
Why have you brought me to this place? Why is this happening in my life? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And God says, I'm with you. And, and you're thinking, God, if you're with me, why am I in, a, in a, a battlefield of dead bones? Why is deadness all around me? Why is there darkness all around me? Why are there people that don't know you? Why am I in my dorm room with this person? Why am I going through this class? Why am I facing all of these things, whether it's a job, or why am I in this city, or why am I at this church, or why am I in this family where no one believes in you? Why have you brought me to this place, God? Why have you brought me to this place of death? See, there's really two, two perspectives in this story. The first is you're either Ezekiel who's looking at death, you're in this place of death, or you're the dry bones who, who's dead. And your life is broken and spread all over the place. You're scattered all over the place. You're sitting here today saying, what do you mean, walking with God? Man, my life is a mess. I'm totally broken. I'm, I, I may look like I got it, but I don't. I'm going to take a look at it. It goes on. He says, Ezekiel 37.2, he says, he led me back and forth among them. I love this part because that really, for me, symbolizes something. He says, uh, he, he said, literally, what was happening was, is this Okay. He said, Ezekiel, come with me. I'm going to take you on a movement, and I'm going to walk you through these bones. And Ezekiel doesn't run from God. He doesn't avoid God. He, doesn't, he, he walks with God through the deadness. He says, we're going to go back and forth. And I think when God was walking Ezekiel back and forth, in God's mind, he was saying, I want to see something. I want to see if Ezekiel recognizes and sees what I see. And he walks Ezekiel through these dead bones, and I'm thinking, there's a femur. I think that was a little toe. Right? And he's walking through the deadness, and it goes on in verse 2. He goes, as he's walking back and forth, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And, and then God asked him, son of man, can these bones live? I guess it's Ezekiel going, What? Like, why would you ask that question? Like, like maybe right after they had died, maybe they could live, you know, when they had flesh on them. But like the crows have been through here, their bodies are rotten, they've been picked at, and, and I mean, they're dry, sun-drenched bones, and they're not even together. I mean, imagine if they could live. You'd have like one femur that's like... 14 inches another if they all they're like all bones I mean it's dead God it's dead and he asked him Ezekiel do you think they can live and in his mind I'm thinking no I don't think they can live you know sometimes I think in our life we get into dead places in our life actually this isn't good because you can't see up there can you <laughs> we don't have a balcony at Bethel's Rock I don't even think about you being up there I think it's a lot like our life. Our life is broken, and, and we see we're in a broken place, we're in a dark place, and as we're in that broken and dark place, we look at them and say, there's no way this can live. There's no way these people can change. There's no way in the world that this thing can turn to be something different than it is. There's no way there can be life in this place. It's just dead. And we look at it, and God is asking you, do you think... Do you think that this dead place that I've brought you to can live? And Ezekiel in his mind had to, be, had to be thinking, absolutely not. Maybe years ago, but not anymore. 
But he was a good prophet, so he knew how to answer. And he says, of course they can live, God, but not for me. He says in verse 3, he, he, or he goes on, he says, he says, I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Like, you know, God, I'm not going to answer you, but you know if this can live. You understand if this can take place. And this is what, he's, what he tells Ezekiel in verse 4. Go to verse 4. He says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Prophesy to these bones. Prophesy to these bones. Stop talking about how dead they are and how bad it is. Stop talking about how terrible your roommate is and how bad your professor is and prophesy to them. Stop complaining about the situation or, or looking at it in a way that can never be changed because I believe with all my heart that when God was walking through Ezekiel through the dead bones, God wanted Ezekiel to see what he saw and not what he physically saw with his eyes. See, when he was walking through the deadness with all the dry bones, God did not see dry bones. He saw living beings. He saw an army. He saw a movement. He saw Ezekiel's movement. We're sitting there complaining because we don't have people following us or we don't have people, we, we don't think that we can lead people. My friend, the darkness, the brokenness, the death that you're walking through in your life is your movement. But you have to see what God sees. The reason you're there is because he wants to, you to prophesy to the deadness of that place and cause your movement to rise up. So he says, prophesy to those bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, last time I checked, it wasn't God. He said, God, only you know. Only you can do it. The thing that irritates me often is only God can do it. You know what God chose to do from the beginning of creation? He chose to do it with you. When, say, when people say it was all God, that is unbiblical. Because if it was all God, your voice would not have spoke. If it was all God, your hands would not have been laid upon somebody. God chooses to do it together with you. When God, if God's going to be a movement across this world, it's going to require you to join up with him to become one flesh with him, one being with him, and move together. Somebody say, I'm a movement. This is what the sovereign Lord said to those bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life i will attach tendons to you to, to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your you with skin i will put breath in you he says it again and you will come to life then you will know that i am the lord so i prophesied as i was commanded and as i was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone and i looked tendons and flesh appeared on them skin covered them but there was no breath in them I mean, this is like a focus, fam focus in the family horror flick in reverse. 
right? Can you imagine rattling bones and all of a sudden they start to come together and you see him as he's sitting there, bones are are starting as he's prophesying life. All of a sudden those dead, sun-drenched, dry bones begin to rattle and those bones begin to come together and they begin to attach themselves, the toe bone to to the foot bone and the foot bone to the leg bone and the leg bone to the hip bone and the hip bone to the stomach bone and the stomach bone to the face bone and the face bone to the hair bone you know and and all of a sudden these things all start coming together and flesh starts to cover them up but yet even though everything starts to come together and he's sitting there and he's watching this and you got this body laying there it's laying there but there is no life because it's missing an important component And I think often in the church, often with believers, we look good. We look like good Christians. We know how to behave like Christians, but we we don't have life. We're dead. When it comes to worshiping God, it's just a formality that we go through. And in verse 8 it says, but there was no breath in them. See, when you come to Christ, it is more than behaviors. You ain't saved by behaviors. And you will not get life by behaviors. Because God in his spirit wants to come and live inside of you. He wants to abide inside of you. We love to keep it copacetic. You know, I just want to look right. So in verse 9, he says, Ezekiel, listen. You you can't teach them into this. You can't coax them into this. You can't push them into this. You need to start to prophesy breath into those bodies. You need to speak life into those bodies. You know what I love about this part? I told them I wasn't going to need water, but I think I needed water. (laughs) You know what I love about this part? Breath. There's a word for breath in Hebrew that I love, and I'm no Hebrew expert, but it is ruha. Somebody say ruha. It makes me sound like, it feel like a marine when you say ruha. I mean, I mean, I like say that like you mean it, like ruha. I mean, it was just so much more interesting, I think, in Hebrews with some Hebrew and some of those words, right? He said prophesy Ruha into them. Prophesy life into them. You know what I think a lot of Christians do, and, and, and not everyone, but a lot of people do, is we, we, we get caught up in pointing out all the bad and negative and death, and we begin to speak death over things, and then are surprised when they die. Because we don't, we don't recognize the, thank you. We don't recognize the importance of our words. You notice God didn't prophesy over those dead bones. Ezekiel prophesied over those dead bones. You know why? Because God put into Ezekiel the ability to speak way back when he was born. The ability to speak life or death. And when we look at things, we sit there, we can get critical, and then we start speaking death over something, and yeah, that was just terrible, or they're terrible, or they're bad, and we, and we begin to speak things, and then it shocks us that they turn out the way we speak over them. 
Rather than saying, my, one of my daughters came to me and they said, you know, Dad, when they were young, they said, Dad, Dad, I'm not very smart. And I said, who told you that? I said, who told you that you weren't very smart? And they said, well, you know, I'm just not like the other kids in class. I said, that is a lie of the devil. You are smart. You are very intelligent. You know, that daughter is the one that almost got to a 4.0 average. Because when you speak something, it produces something. Begin to speak ruha over a situation. If you go to a church and that church seems to be dead, don't look for a church where you say, well, there's nothing I can do there or because it's just a dead church. Maybe God's taking you there because you're to prophesy life into that place. This whole thing of move, a movement goes to a place that needs to move. But too many people are running to places that are already moving. You're in a workplace, and there are a bunch of atheists and, and people that you just don't really care very much about, and God is somehow opening a door for you to be there. Don't be afraid to be a movement in that place because you have the ability to prophesy ruha into dead bones and see them to come alive, see them come alive. Verse 10, he said, and they came to life. And they stood on their feet. And I love this place because this is just freaky cool. They became a vast army. And I think in that moment, in that time when Ezekiel's sitting there, seeing a valley floor completely transformed from being a hopeless, helpless bunch of empty, dry bones, and God says, so what do you think? And Ezekiel in that moment says, that's what you saw. He said, Ezekiel, meet your movement. Ezekiel, meet the force that you are now going to lead into the battle I'm about to take you to. Stop complaining why no one follows you and start being a movement in dry bone areas. Go to dead places, go to places where no one else wants to go and be a movement that prophesies ruha and to the lives of people in those places, and you're going to find a movement that God has for you, and you're going to turn the world upside down. Do you believe that? I don't know. I, do you believe that? Yeah. Then you, it's funny, because what I found at salvation, there's the, the Bible says this is how you're saved. You believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth. Am I right? It's funny how everything in life is that way. Isn't it? Every, everything in life is that way. When you believe it in your heart, you start confessing it from your mouth. Can I tell you, it's time to start confessing your movement if you truly believe it in your heart. If you believe that you can turn the world upside down, you need to confess that. I'm going to turn the world upside down. Right? Because it identifies what's in your heart. Do you believe that? Okay, that was convincing. <laughs> that was awful. Do you believe that? Yeah. Amen. Let's go speak some Ruha. You do that? Let's go speak some more. Will you stand? The thing that's so exciting for me is that I was, I was in this chapel years ago 
And, and I remember sitting in this thing and Larry Bach on the piano. No one knows this song, Larry, singing, I'm going to dream big dreams, accomplish great things. You remember that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> he didn't want me to remember that, but he, he did sing that. And I remember I was sitting with people all around me, just like you're sitting with people around you. People like Dick Brogdon. Now, how, you all know Dick Brogdon, right? But I could bring up names that you've never heard of before that are changing the world in rural communities around this country. They're as much superstars as the Dick Brogdon in Africa. Tell you right now, I'm preaching on this actually. Greatness defined by Christ is becoming a slave to all. That's greatness in heaven because I serve all. Our movement is going to go to serve. And as you're sitting here, I, it's exciting for me as I'm sitting here right now knowing that this movement is going to, there are people in this room, in this room, across this room, I pray every one of you are going to change the world that you're a part of. You believe that? That's pray. Father, thank you for the people who have surrendered dreams that they had in their heart to pursue the dreams that you gave them in their spirit. Lord, I pray right now that you would release them from any, any pull or draw that they have to somehow prove themselves to other people around them that they're good or great, but that they would be free to pursue whatever you lead them to. Lord, I pray that their movement would make such an impact on this world that it would never be the same ever again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
love that. I love that analogy. I love it. That is, that is beautiful. I, I interned with Evan John, and he mentioned it to me. And I was like, you know, interesting. How many times have you gotten a card from someone, and all they do is sign their name on the card? Right. No. No, you don't ever get that. Why is something in there? Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's just nice, because I feel like singing on the song, yeah. I feel like sometimes people hear it, and they don't respond to it, because it's said over the years. Really good. That was so good. So good, Emily. I'm proud of you. Love it. Please. 